Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. This episode is airing on Tuesday, May 24th, 2022. Hello, everyone. It's Shannon back with you for another Tuesday morning episode. I've got an interview today with author Mimi Matthews. We talk about some historical romance set in the Victorian era with the Siren of Sussex here. If you love Victorians, I hope you will give this interview a listen. And then I'll be back to talk with you about this week's new books. So let's get started. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Book Bistro podcast. This is Shannon, and today I am here with author Mimi Matthews, whose novel, The Siren of Sussex, is scheduled to release here in the U.S. on January 11th. So, Mimi, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Thank you so much for having me, Shannon. I'm really excited to be here. You are welcome. So can we start out with a brief description of The Siren of Sussex so that listeners will have an idea what they're getting into? Sure. The Siren of Sussex is a Victorian romance. It's set in 1862, primarily in London. And the heroine, the female main character, is Evelyn Maltravers. She is a country girl, a gentleman's daughter, so not particularly part of high society, but well well-bred, I guess you would say, and she's come to London for her first season. She's really smart. She's pragmatic. She knows her limitations, and she decides to proceed uh, with the season from a position of strength, and her big strength is she's a talented, a gifted equestrian. Uh, she has trained her own horse, a Andalusian stallion named Hephaestus, and she wants to make an impact, not in the ballroom, but on Rotten Row, which is where the fashionable hour was, where uh, the members of high society would come uh, every day and ride, sort of display themselves riding. And she wants to make an impact there. So after sort of spying who is the most fashionable, who draws the most attention. And at that time, uh, the riders who drew the most attention were courtesans called the Pretty Horse Breakers. Those were real people in the 1860s. Um, excellent riders, beautifully turned out, great figures, and they would draw crowds who would come to see them. And so Evelyn decides, I'm going to find the habit maker who designs the habits for the pretty horse breakers, and I'm going to get a really uh, 
amazing habit of my own and I'm going to make a splash in Rotten Row. And so she approaches the tailor who makes the habits. And that is our male main character, the hero, Ahmed Malik. (laughs) He's a half Indian uh, tailor in London. And at the moment he's making writing habits for the courtesans. But what he hopes to be is a dressmaker, a fashionable society dressmaker. And when Evelyn and Ahmed meet, sparks fly. Um, they sort of uh, have a connection instantly. Not so much a love at first sight, but sort of a talent meets talent. Sort of, <laughs> you know, uh, they recognize each other. She is incredibly gifted in her field. He's incredibly gifted in his field. And they just have an enormous amount of respect for each other. A friendship develops and soon something more. But because of their class difference, their race difference um, and various other things. Money plays a big part in it. Um, they have to face a lot of obstacles in order to be together. I was really excited to see the blurb for this because we don't have a ton of Victorians right now. We have, you know, a lot of Regencies. You can find some Georgians, you know, going back into history, but we don't have a lot of Victorian romances right now. So I was really, really excited to see that this one was coming out. Oh, I'm so glad. I love the Victorian era. I think it's probably what I'm best known for writing. Of all my of all my fiction, my novels, I have two Regencies and all the rest are Victorians. But, I mean, I love the Regency era, too. It's just my heart really belongs to the Victorian era. It's just such a fascinating time period. What is it about that era that speaks to you? I think that it's primarily the amount of change that was happening in society at the time. So the Victorian era spans a really long period of years, um, 1837 to 1901. Um, I usually set my Victorian novels around end of the 1850s, beginning of the 1860s, just sort of almost dead. Well, I don't know if it's dead center, but sort of the middle ish part of the period. Um, but Things were changing, technology, um, medicine, um, views about women and women's own expectations for what they wanted from life, um, some shifting in class as tradesmen became wealthy. And, um, you know, things were just changing. There was so much change. But at the same time, there were so many rigid rules and the formality of the era. And I like to see the the tension between these rigid rules and all this change all around them and how the the characters have to either adapt themselves or what they want to accept, what they want to embrace and what they don't want to change. It's just very interesting to me because in a lot of ways, it's almost like um, our modern world. You know, we're constantly dealing with changes all the time, even just I mean, if you limit it to just technology, just all the things we're having to learn and what things we want to accept and learn and what things we're like, nope, that's enough. Or at what time in our life we decide it's enough. Um, but yeah, it's just really interesting to see uh, how characters deal with all of that in a historical setting. So I've heard um, people who write historical romance say in the past that they struggle to write kind of relatable stories set in the distant past and so I'm wondering what you do as a writer to make sure that your stories are relatable so I've heard that I've heard that before too and I guess what I would say is I I have never had that problem and the reason is because 
I feel, my personal opinion, and I think that when you're researching a ton and you're in the history, like reading old letters and journals and um, newspaper articles and old books and things, you realize that there's not really that much difference on a human level um, between the things they dealt with and the things we dealt with. So once you recognize that, I think the characters do become relatable because on an emotional level, you know, hopes, fears, um, the way they, they feel um, in romance, the way that they feel with their friendships is actually pretty similar to the way we feel. And so I, I don't feel I have um, that I've struggled with that so much myself. I guess the, the bigger struggle for me is in trying to keep it, you know, a little more accurate is giving the characters, you know, the a chance to meet and talk and be together when perhaps in the Victorian era, they wouldn't have had so much time together if they weren't married, you know, or if they weren't family members, uh, yes. um, you know, giving the hero and heroine, like, well, when would they have been alone? When would they have right. talked to each other? And so luckily in Siren of Sussex, Ahmed, the, the hero, he is doing a lot of fittings uh, with Evelyn. And so there are a lot of, um, charged moments between them in the fitting room but they have a lot of time to be alone because he is he she's his muse and he's making her clothes and then there's other opportunities as well but yeah that that's a little bit more of a challenge for me but I do find uh people in the Victorian are actually very relatable they may not seem that way on the surface when you see them you know tight-laced and um looking so uh sort of cold and, and remote but they actually I I find them to be pretty relatable to to what we deal with in our modern lives. Are there aspects of the Victorian era that you especially enjoy writing? Oh my gosh, I love writing about the fashions. I think that probably comes out in my stories. I love the fabrics. I love the detail of the clothes and the way, um, you know, the swish of a skirt or something can sort of evoke a mood as much as, you know, somebody talking or a jet, another gesture. I love the, um, it's sort of, I both love and hate the formality because the formality certainly restricts what you can, what you can do, but it also makes, because of the formality, because of the social constraints, the smallest gestures are, are so seeped in meaning. They become so much more meaningful, like, um, the touch, the first touch of a hand, things like that. So, I really, really love that. Or the brush of, you know, if somebody sits down um, next to the person, you know, that they have feelings for in their knees brush or something, just these subtle things that that have so much more meaning because there there was this sort of restraint. Um, but, yeah, fashion, um, gestures with a lot of meaning um, and then just general ambience, the gaslight, the ballrooms. The typical historical romance things to love. Ah, uh, beautiful, beautiful ballrooms. I know. It, it it always seems like such a magical time. And I know the reality is very different because, you know, the plumbing, the uh, <laughs> the medicine, yes. the women yes. who couldn't vote. <laughs> Those things I don't like. But there were many elements that do seem very beautiful and just so lovely. Well, and I think that's, you know, one of the things we kind of struggle with as readers, like all these things seem so great to read about. And you'll just think like, oh, you know, why can't that be my life? 
But yeah. then you're like, you well, know. yeah, <laughs> no, thanks. <laughs> no, like it wouldn't actually be a good way to live. Um, yeah, I think that's were you what, actually there. Oh, absolutely not. Yeah, I don't think so uh, at all. And even I mean, even 30, 40 years ago, I think we're always improving, improving. Our lives are always improving, just maybe not as quickly as as we would like them to improve. But um I think that's one thing that I love about romance novels is I love that we don't have to face that particular, re- you know, there's not characters that all have bad teeth and that all have, you know, body odor. <laughs> it, it doesn't cross over into that realm of it, everything has to be exactly accurate as it was in historical times. There is, you know, you do have to, um, there is an element of make-believe about all of it. You know, just look at all the romances that have dukes. There weren't really that many dukes in England at the time. But you no, know but that historical romance. Oh, everywhere. Yeah, dukes everywhere. Which is, and, and it's so much fun to read. And the stories are, are so great. But there is an amount of, I guess you would say, suspend your disbelief on certain subjects. The amount of yes. dukes, the amount of, you know, the issues with bathing and plumbing and things like that. We just have to pretend those parts didn't exist in order to enjoy the escape of the story. Right. Because it would not be nearly as compelling if you're reading about like all these people who haven't bathed in a while. Yeah. That's not as romantic at all. No, <laughs> no. And I don't know if you've noticed, but like when you read a lot of the like medieval romances oh that were gosh. big you know, back in the day. <laughs> yeah. Like these people are always bathing in these books. And I'm like, yeah, I don't. They didn't really I, tell that off. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that yeah. would work. Yeah, they were. And, and you notice in books, too, nobody's ever really talking about. And then, you know, that the the heroine had to shave her legs or anything. It's always her smooth leg. And I always think, yes, how is why is it smooth? How is it smooth? <laughs> but, you know, I'm sure I do that, too. Um, I think at some the point in time, I've seen it actually address like hair removal is do you remember like back in the 80s and 90s, there was this huge thing about people being sold into harems oh yes there was a lot and, of yeah exotic exoticizing i guess of uh sort of the middle eastern yes and yeah, so the, like when people were sold into harems they would have like these things done to them where like all their body hair was removed that sounds familiar yeah i, I think you're right like joanna Lindsay did this Quite a bit. Um, Bertrice Small. I think maybe some early. Bertrice Small, her books, my gosh. They were so interesting and just so like. So sad when she died. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. You know, it's because they seem immortal almost. Some of the authors you grew up with, it just feels, I mean, I don't know them in person. I've never seen them or been to. So to me, they just feel sort of immortal. And then when you hear they're actually a real human who's passed away, you just think, what? It feels unbelievable um, because their books are so iconic. Yes. Um, like when we lost Joanna Lindsay um, a few years ago, or as I said, you know, Bertrice Small. Um, yeah. It's just unbelievable. Like um, those are the people that I grew up reading that I sort of, you know, got into romance with. For me, it was my mom had um, like a romance shelf and on it, she had Joanna Lindsay. She had Laverle Spencer. 
Oh yes. She had, remember her? Yeah. She, and, um, but she had most of Amanda Quick, Jane Ann Crince. Jane Ann Crince. Oh my gosh. Amanda (laughs) Quick books. I grew up on those. Um, and those were the first, uh, like, I guess what you would say historical romances that, that I read. Um, and then Julie Garwood, um, but yeah, the classics, um, they're just all so much fun. I love how fun they are and how romantic and dramatic and really such an escape. And no matter what the characters go through at the end, you know, it's going to end happily. So you feel almost a little bit safe in experiencing all of the anguish they're going through because you know, this is all going to come right in the end. Which yes, and sometimes of, they have uh, more than their fair share of anguish. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, <laughs> some of the 80s romances were just, I read one, and I'm trying to think what it was called. It's like one of the co- sort of controversial ones. I think it's Stormfire. And this heroine, I can't remember. It's not by, oh, gosh, who is it by? It's not one by one of the main historical romance authors that you sort of hear about all the time. But I heard some people talking about it a couple of years ago, like, oh, Stormfire. And so I looked it up and read it. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that heroine goes through hell. <laughs> like, one bad thing after another. And it's like with the hero, then with the hero, I think the hero's brother, then back with the hero, and then locked up, and then on and on. In a convent, it's like never ending. You think, how is this gonna, how is this gonna work out? And of course it does, but yeah, it was a lot. It's very yeah, different. Like this poor person like goes through so much and you're like, okay, you just need like a break from it. A minute. break, a break from it and a break from this guy. This guy's not good for you. <laughs> yeah. No, a lot of guys in, in romance, I thought, you know, if this were a real person, like he'd be in jail. Yeah, there were, I I think we had a lot, I guess they call it just the alpha, the really hardcore alpha heroes of yesteryear that a lot of times were not very nice and were almost, you know, brutal. And um, I like to think that romances today, well, we've just evolved so much and realized that's not an attractive model to have, you know, that's not an ideal guy. Um, And that nowadays we're we have a more um, sensitive view of, of what a real hero is. I hope. Right. I think we sometimes do. I think, you know, if you look at a lot of, a lot of contemporary romance, for example, um, you still can find some pretty like hardcore. Some sort alpha. of aggressive alpha guys. I think, you know what I have, I don't read a ton of contemporary romance. I sort of, it's like a buffet for me. I'm always like, it's something from here, something from there. I don't stick to just one um, sort of, I guess, subset of the genre. But I've read some recent ones that I, some recent contemporaries that I loved. I think the most recent one I read, I'm trying to think, was The Love Hypothesis oh, by Ali Hazelwood. So good. Yeah, yes. I really enjoyed that. Um and then everything else, I think my other recent reads um, were more like World War One era and not on purpose, oh, but yeah. I seem to accidentally have read a couple World War One eras in a row that were really good. Um, I think I might mispronounce her name, but Leisha Corn, is it Leisha Corn? Oh, the Lisa woman Corn? at the front. The woman at the front. It was so yes. good. I really, really enjoyed that one. Um, but yeah. I, well, I like the heroes in that one too. And I like the hero in the love hypothesis a lot. And he wasn't a beta hero. I mean, he was 
I guess you would say maybe an alpha hero, but not in a toxic way at all. I mean, I don't know. I I remember reading something several years ago and like this guy was, I don't know, like a wrestler or something. And he would get drunk and he would just like destroy hotel rooms, like just just because. And he, you know, like would always be in all kinds of trouble, you know, for this. And like people didn't want him to uh, to stay there, obviously, because like, why would you? (laughs) And then he falls in love with this woman. I guess she's like his I don't know, like his marketing person or like somehow like on his his staff. And somehow this is supposed to, like, calm him down and he becomes, like, a better person until they have, like, their black moment. And she leaves him. And then he, of course, like, goes off the rails and destroys a bunch of stuff. And he's like, see, you shouldn't have left. Yeah, I think sometimes stories like that put the burden on the woman to be the fixer or the burden. It doesn't even have to be like a hetero romance it's any romance right there's one character who is in the relationship who is like responsible for fixing the other person entirely responsible and the other person is just i don't know i don't believe in the magical partner who can fix everything i think there needs to be a little bit of um self-reflection on the part of the person who's you know Busting up hotel rooms. Uh, yes, yes. I think that's just not a good behavior. Um, no, and maybe no. you shouldn't do it whether exactly. or not yeah. someone leaves you. Exactly. Like, just don't do that. Yeah. You'll be fine. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like that romances are getting better. I think though, I, on the other hand, I'm probably not a good judge because I think a lot of people feel some of my heroes are more beta heroes. And I've often thought, well, I don't know how they could be more alpha unless they were more unless they had more of those moments where of losing control and their temper. But who knows? I just write what I write. So I just write what I feel are, like. When you're getting to know your characters, like do you have certain like characteristics that kind of come to you first where you sort of start to understand who they are, or does it all sort of evolve for you as your story grows? You know, usually my books, all of them, and I'm trying to think if there's any exception to this, and I don't think there is, um, they've all started by, I imagine, a scene, and it's not even at the beginning. Um, a lot of times it's sort of more toward the middle, a particular scene, um, and so I'll write that scene, and I, from that I have an idea generally of the, the, fem- the male and female main character, like sort of their motivations, their issues, but then as I go through when I actually write the book, which I'm sort of a linear writer, I start at the beginning, except for that one scene, which I sketch out. I start at the beginning and I go straight through and I don't plot anything in advance. I just write as I go and then I edit as I go. It sort of evolves. Um, and as I'm writing, I sort of discover more as I go. And um, then I'll go back and I'll adjust um so it's sort of a, a discovery for me as well. But I, I usually start with that imagining that one scene um, of something happening. Um, and from that, I, I have a pretty good gauge. So this the next book in the Bells of London series, for example, is the um, Bella Belgrave Square. But the third book, which I'm writing now, um, which we haven't announced the title yet, but it's book three, that book started with this with a scene where I just knew the hero had sort of a very dry, sarcastic sense of humor. Um, 
that was sort of part um, defense mechanism and some of the things he does. And the same with the heroine, who's very, um, I don't even know if you would say bossy, but she's very high handed about how she handles everything. <laughs> like, I know best. You need to do this. You need to do that. And, you know, sticking up for her friends and managing. She's like, I guess what they would say in the 19th century um, is a managing female. So I had those ideas and was sort of holding those ideas in my head um, as I wrote the other books. Um, so I sort of knew, you know, who was who and 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 what their separate journeys were going to be in the subsequent books. Um, but that's about it. I'm afraid I'm not very I've seen some authors who do much more elaborate um, uh, lists or um, they have different ways of choosing all the characteristics and things, which I aspire to be that organized. But I am not that organized. Um, unfortunately, I wish that I was I'd probably be more productive. So it's funny because I hear people say sort of both things, like people who say kind of what you said that, you know, they, they don't plot out and they wish they could. And then I hear from people who do plot in advance and I'm like, oh, it would be so good if I could just you know see where the story goes and not have to stick to this rigid outline. <laughs> so I think it's sort of like anything that it's so personal. You know, always, yes. And we always wonder about the thing that we right. don't do or can't do. Sometimes like, I think that'd that, be better. Yeah, I feel like I mean, this is just my feeling is that if I outlined, I would maybe write faster and maybe I could then be more productive. But every time I think I'm going to do it, then I start the book. And that's just not how it goes, because I have done, you know, so many books by the method I'm using now. And I think to change would be so hard. It's like, you know, any change. I always think, well, this sounds like a good idea. Maybe when things are less stressful, I'll try it. And then things are never less stressful. No, no, no. <laughs> and I guess it's kind of, you know, if like if it works for you and you get done what you need and want to get done, then maybe there's no real value in in changing that for you. Yes, I've thought I've thought that, too. Like I wrote I wrote The Siren of Sussex sort of just, you know, discovering it as I went and revising as I go in my usual way. And it seems to be, it seems so far to be getting a really good reception. So I feel like, okay, well, this worked, this worked again. <laughs> and we'll see how it goes for the next book. Um, yeah. I think part of it must be dependent book by book, you know, just what happens with the characters and um, you know, where your mind takes you as you go. Um but so far, so far, so good. So will The Siren of Sussex be available in audio? Yes, um, it is it is available in audio. And um, I'm really excited because we did authentic casting for it. So the part of Ahmed is being voiced by um, an actor named Vidish Atavali. I hope I haven't mispronounced his last name. Vidish Atavali. And the female main character, Evelyn, is being voiced by Lydia Hanman. And so I'm really excited um, to hear the finished product. I haven't heard it yet, but I heard um, I heard little clips of it when uh, my publisher was doing auditions uh, for the roles. And I was ah. so impressed. I know it was really exciting. I was really excited. Um, the whole process has been really exciting. So neither of those narrators are people that I'm familiar with. So they're new. They're eager. brand new. I think oh. this is um, uh, Vidish. I think 
did a, a book about, oh gosh, let me see, was it, I think it might have been Malala Yousafzai that he did a book about, but I don't think that he's done a, um, yeah, he, I don't believe he's done a romance before. And I know Lydia hasn't done a romance before. So this is the first, I believe, for both of them. Um, hey. But yeah, it's really exciting. Um, when I heard their auditions, I was like, this is just how I imagined these words being said. You know, you have like the character's voice sort of in your head. And a lot of times when with my previous audiobooks, I love how the narrator does it, but it's maybe not exactly how I imagine the particular character's voice to sound. Ah, yes. But yeah, but with Lydia especially, she did, and for her audition, she read um, one of Evelyn's scenes, and I was like, oh my gosh, that is exactly how I imagined it to sound. And I told the producer, I was like, I think this is exactly how Evelyn sounds. So, but yeah, I'm really excited for, uh, to hear their performances. Well, we will definitely have to keep an eye out for it. Um, it's almost here. Oh, so exciting. I can't believe it. It felt so far away for so long. And now it's, gosh, only a week away. Yes, because we are recording this on the 4th. And it is scheduled to release um, exactly on the one week. Yeah, one week. Yes, away. yes. I really hope everyone's will love it. I know not everybody loves all books. Our taste is also different, but I it's really true. hope <laughs> I really hope everybody will love uh, Ahmed and Evelyn's story. I had so much fun researching and writing it. Will we see sort of caveats from them in like future books in the series? They're mentioned a little bit in book 2, um which will be out in October, and then they'll appear again in book three and four, um, as well as there's characters from my Parish Orphans of Devon series um, that appear uh, a little bit in the books as well. So there's like a mild crossover. I don't know if I would even say mild. There's crossover with the characters. They sort of overlap in time. Um, but yeah, they're going to they're going to drift in and out of future books. <laughs> I always love that when you're reading, you know, a book later in the series and then you get like the cameo from you know, the couple from a, like a previous book. Oh, I do too. It's like visiting old friends, catching up with old friends. Yes. You just like, you know, kind of see a little bit of like what's going on with them. You know, how, like, how are things going? Right. Yeah. No, I love that too. And so I definitely wanted to show that because um, there's an epilogue to each of the stories. So you do get a little glimpse of what the future is like, but it's always nice to sort of see them in, I guess you'd say in real time interacting with the, yeah. the characters and, and the friendship between the four young ladies uh, who come to London for their seasons um, is definitely one of the main parts of the story. The, the friendship that the girls share um, as I guess you would say they're all a little bit odd, not precisely wallflowers, but they don't fit the stereotypical mold and how each of them um, sort of adjusts and makes the best of it and ultimately finds uh, romance and happiness just within themselves, um, you know, that they can find a way to fit in and, um, and find happiness. Uh, that definitely is, is something that, that is, that goes throughout the series. Well, the Siren of Sussex is definitely on my list of things to read next week. You are in very good company in terms of books being released next week. It is a, a very good release week. 
So I wish you the very best of luck with this book and, of course, with future ones as well. Thank you so much, Shannon. I really appreciate it. I want to thank you for taking time so close to the release of your book to chat with me today. I really, really appreciate it. And I'm wondering if, before I let you dash off, if you can let listeners know the best place to find you online. Sure. Um, my website at MimiMatthews.com has loads of information. Um, but usually um, Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. And um, Twitter and Instagram, I'm at MimiMatthewsESQ. And at Facebook, I am Mimi Matthews Author. But any of those places, um, I'm on a little bit of a break right now, but usually um, I respond to everybody who comments. I try to respond to everybody who comments. So those are the best ways to uh, get in touch with me. All right. Well, thank you again for chatting with me today. Again, we are we were discussing The Siren of Sussex by Mimi Matthews, and this comes out on January 11th. All right, so it is another great new release day. There have been a bunch of these so far in May, but I'm going to start off, as always, with some books that you've heard us mention before, and I'm starting with one that Stacy mentioned on our most anticipated releases of May episode. This is a big deal here on Book Bistro. Night Work by Nora Roberts is finally here. I'm excited about it. Stacy, Brooke, Mika, Natalia, Georgina. It is definitely one that we are looking forward to. If you remember from the May, um, most anticipated releases of May episode, you heard Stacy talk about this and it sounds amazing. Georgina is looking forward to the new Laura Griffin. This is Midnight Dunes, Texas Murder Files, book three. Um, I have yet to read any Laura Griffin, although I really want to. Her Tracer series looks amazing, as well as this Texas Murder Files. And my uh, contribution this week is A Lady for Duke, by Alexis Hall. This is another historical romance with a trans woman uh, as the heroine. So I am super excited about this one. Then I want to mention some books that we haven't talked about before. I'm starting with The Shore by Katie Rund. This is another summer book, um, a family, mother, two daughters, and all the things that they're dealing with, young love, heartbreak, family secrets. Um, it's classified, you know, as one of those summer beach reads that are so popular. So if you're looking for another one of those, check this one out. It's The Shore by Katie Rund. If you're looking for some mystery, we have What Can Be Seen. This is by Brianna Labuskies. It is the second in her Gretchen White series. This is about a psychologist who is used to helping other people deal with their pasts, but now hers is coming home to roost. This is What Can't Be Seen, Gretchen White, book two, 
by Brianna Lebuskis. We also have Never Coming Home by Hannah Mary McKinnon. And I have read a couple of her books um, a couple of years ago and really enjoyed her. Natalia is another McKinnon fan here. But this one is about a husband who has come up with a diabolical plan to inherit his wife's fortune. Um, the tagline in the synopsis is, first comes love, then comes murder. It's Never Coming Home by Hannah Mary McKinnon. Kirsten White has a thriller slash horror novel out this week. This is called Hyde, and it's one of those books where people are playing a game and of course this game turns turns deadly and so we have characters who are hiding from other characters i'm not sure what kind of game this is um but i'm fascinated by these really like they start out you know as as fun and competitive and they turn deadly pretty quickly this is hide by kirsten white okay so let's talk about some fantasy because we've got several. This first one is a Jennifer Ashley book. This is Tiger's Daughter, Shifters Unbound, number 14. And I'm kind of a terrible romance person because I have never read a Jennifer Ashley book. Not one of her Mackenzie books, not a Shifters Unbound, um, not any of her young adult. It, it's a problem I have. I need to solve it. Um, but I know that she's very, very popular in so many subgenres of, of romance. So if you have read her where I have not, then you might be looking forward to this one. It is Tiger's Daughter, Shifters Unbound, book 14 by Jennifer Ashley. We also have Always Practice Safe Hex. This is Stay a Spell, book four by Juliet Cross. Um, I have heard a lot of really positive things about this series. It's urban fantasy, kind of on, on the lighter side. Um, kind of that blend of like cozy mystery with paranormal romance slash urban fantasy. I have not read this series yet, although I do want to check it out. I just have to be in a lighter um, frame of, of mind in order to do it. But this is Always Practice Safe Hex. It is Stay a Spell, book four, by Juliet Cross. If you're looking for some YA fantasy, we have A Cruel and Faded Light. This is The Hollow Star Saga, book two, by Ashley Shuttleworth. The first book came out at the beginning of 2021, I believe. And it's this long kind of sweeping saga of fey kingdoms and killers and hidden magic. I really enjoyed the first book. I am very excited for the second one. This is A Cruel and Faded Light, Hollow Star Saga, book two by Ashley Shuttleworth. We then have what looks to be the conclusion of the Bridge Kingdom series. This is The Inadequate Heir, and this is by Danielle L. Jensen. This is another author that gets so much positive attention. Um, I own several of her books. She's been on my TBR for a while. Um, 
she does some really nice fantasy crossover. It's technically not marketed as YA, but a lot of YA readers really enjoy her. So if you're looking for something like that, you might want to check out The Bridge Kingdom. And the third book, which is The Inadequate Heir by Danielle L. Jensen, is out this week. Okay, so let's talk about some historicals here. We have The Bride Goes Rogue. This is Fifth Avenue Revels, book three by Joanna Shoup. Joanna Shoup is, I think, one of the best people writing historical romance right now, especially set in the Gilded Age. Um, Gilded Age New York has become really popular in historical romances lately. And Joanna Shoup just brings it to life so, so well. Um, Stacy is a fan of hers, as is Sarah. And I have loved everything I've read by this author. So definitely check her out. This one is The Bride Goes Rogue. And it's Fifth Avenue Rebels, book three, by Joanna Shoup. We also have the new Chanel Clayton. This is historical fiction rather than historical romance. Um, it usually does have some romantic elements. This is Our Last Days in Barcelona. This is the fifth book in her Cuban saga. Um, they don't necessarily have to be read in order. They focus on different generations of the Perez family. So you'll kind of you know, hear about people that you'll be familiar with from other books, but the plot of one book doesn't necessarily hinge on on the plot of the rest. I have read the four that have come out already. I'm super excited for this one. It is Our Last Days in Barcelona. This is Isabel's story, and it's by Chanel Clayton. We also have some young adults that I'm going to... Uh, end today with. First up is How We Ricochet. This is by Faith Gardner. She wrote Girl on the Line a couple of years ago, um, which was compared to Girl in Pieces by Kathleen Glasgow. But this one is the story of a mass shooting in a mall and how a teenage girl kind of survives it, deals with her survivor's guilt, um, and just kind of reckons with everything that goes along with mass shootings. Um, a very timely book, given the current climate. This is How We Ricochet, and it's by Faith Gardner. We also have Break This House. This is by Candace Elo. It is about a teenage girl who is forced to come to terms with some secrets kept by her estranged mother. There's also a lot of turmoil in the town where she used to live. Apparently she and her father have moved away. And now for some reason that the synopsis doesn't make clear, they're returning to this town and things are greatly changed. This is Break This House, and it's by Candace Elo. Next up is one of my favorite titles this week. This is Just Your Local Bisexual Disaster. It's by Andrea Mosquito. It is an Own Voices debut. 
about a bisexual girl who is trying to find the perfect date for her younger sister's quinceanera. I think this title is just amazing. Um, I took note of it a few weeks ago when I read an early review of it, and I'm so glad that it's finally here. It is Just Your Local Bisexual Disaster, and it's by Andrea Mosquito. And last up is another book that I'm super excited for. This is Primal Animals by Julia Lynn Rubin. She wrote Trouble Girls last year, and it was amazing. I am so excited for this one. It is about a young girl who ends up at a summer camp. And while she's there, she finds herself embroiled in this elite society. So this seems very fun at first, but it turns deadly very quickly. This is Primal Animals, and it's by Julia Lynn Rubin. And that is all I have for you this week. Hopefully, everyone is doing well, staying safe, reading lots. Um, I hope that your TBR pile is growing by leaps and bounds, as most of ours here on Book Bistro tend to do. And I will, of course, be back with you next week. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, it kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody. <laughs>